Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and welcome to the Cone of Shame show. Guys, I have a fun interview today. I am talking with Dr. Tierra Price, who's the founder of Black DVM Network, and Dr. Jeff Tinsley, who is a dermatology resident. And um, they are, in my opinion, going to be future leaders of our profession. They are both extremely impressive people. They are building incredible resumes. They are doing a ton of stuff uh, for all of us. And... I love their stories and their education in vet medicine has been very different than mine was. And, uh, and we just unpacked that today. So this should be a really interesting listen. Uh, it was eye opening for me in a lot of ways. I am supremely grateful for them giving their time just to talk with me and, um, and yeah, to sort of unpack some, some things that, that I am still learning as we go. So anyway, that is what the episode is about. These guys are wonderful. I hope you will enjoy this episode. This is your show, we're glad you're here, we want to help you in your veterinary career, welcome to the Cone of Shame, with Dr. Andy Rourke. (laughs) Welcome everybody, welcome Dr. Jeff Tinsley and Dr. Tierra Price, thanks for being here. Hi there. Hi, thanks for having us. Oh man, my my pleasure. Um, you guys are a joy. I am so happy to have you here. I um, I want to first of all, I want to introduce you guys to the world. I don't know how many people really know you. Um, I would like to start off this podcast having you introduce yourself because you both have uh, very interesting stories, and I think that uh, th- that's uh, sort of your backstory and your experiences in vet medicine are really kind of what I want to unpack today and try to get a better understanding of. Is that okay? Yeah. Dr. Price, would you like to go first? Yes, sure. So I am Dr. Tierra Price. I am a new grad from Virginia Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine. I will be starting work in Los Angeles in community medicine, shelter medicine, Um, but I'm currently working at a general practice while I'm here uh, in Louisville. Kentucky. So Louisville is home for me, but I I did vet school and undergrad um, away from here. I am also the founder of Black DVM Network, um, an organization that serves to connect black veterinary professionals um, and help them to find mentors and to uh, provide resources in vet med. Very nice. Dr. Jeff Tinsley. Yeah. Uh, I am Dr. Jeff Tinsley. I grew up in Georgia. I went to the University of Georgia for undergrad, graduated in 13, then went directly into veterinary school at Tuskegee University in Alabama, graduating in 2017. Then I went into my rotating internship. I was interested in specializing at that time. And I moved to San Antonio, Texas to do my small animal rotating internship at the Blue Pearl of San Antonio. I originally was interested in surgery at that point. So that changed during my my internship as I got more into it, doing my rotations. And I wasn't really sure what path to take. So I went into general practice for a year after that, staying in town. And then... I got a real passion for dermatology during that year, and I decided to uh, go ahead and do a a dermatology specialty internship, which took me to Louisville, Kentucky, 
with Animal Dermatology Clinic. And I was very fortunate to be able to uh, land my residency uh, also with the same clinic with Animal Derm. And I'll be with them for the at least the next three years, maybe more. That's outstanding. Uh, Tierra, um, let's talk a little bit more about Black DVM Network, because that's how I met you. I met you through your work on Black DVM. You are doing a lot of stuff. You are very visible right now. You are doing really, really great work. Um, I'm a huge fan of yours. Let's. Uh, can we talk a little bit about sort of what Black DVM Network is? And, and honestly, I'd like to hear the story of kind of how you got inspired to start this thing. Yeah, for sure. So Black DVM Network started as an Instagram page in 2018. Um, I was a veterinary student with uh, about four other black veterinary students in my class. And I just was wondering were there other people out there that um, looked like me that I could relate to? Was every vet school class um, made up of the demographics that I had? Were there more black veterinarians and black veterinary students than I could see? Um, and so I started the page highlighting vet students and, um, and veterinarians uh, I was a, anonymous for a while, which I didn't think was a, a big deal. I, I didn't think that people needed to know who was behind the page, but um, I, I realize now that it was a bit creepy. <laughs> I was a <laughs> you're just you're just someone posting pictures of black veterinarians. <laughs> like we don't know who this person yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. So, so I finally revealed myself uh, and let people know who I was and what I was doing, but. From that page, I started to receive messages from technicians and other students, pre-veterinary students, um, asking if there was a black veterinarian in their area um, because they had been discriminated against. And they were um, trying to find someone that looked like them that could take care of their pet uh, and or, or that they could work for. So clients, students, technicians, the whole nine. And. So I started off with a directory and I said, well, if we can have a directory of black veterinarians, that should, you know, solve our problem. And we can put up a little map online and people will know exactly where to go. But from there, that only exposed um, a larger gap in resources for students um, and veterinarians and technicians. And so I made it my mission to um, have a place for them to connect and we could pool our resources and become a stronger community. Yeah, I love how pragmatic you are. You're like, I see. You're like, I see a problem. Gonna make a directory, and this and that and scratch that off the to do list. Uh, done. But yeah, that's uh, that. That's fantastic. Uh, Jeff, can you talk a little bit about your um, passion for dermatology that you uh, that sent yeah. you to your residency program? Yeah, absolutely. So how it kind of got started was. Uh, during my year in general practice, the case that I love talking about is this great big Pyrenees dog that I had who came in on his first visit to see me for euthanasia. And he was one of those dogs you could literally smell from across the room. He had th these horrible skin infections. The hair was falling out all over the place and just all of these problems going on. And I really recognized uh, from the owner's standpoint, that it, it was so bad that they thought his quality of life was too poor to, to continue uh, dealing with him and treating him. And he had seen several vets before me. So I was able to use this minimal derm skills I felt like I'd gotten from my, my internship 
just before that, uh, rotating through Durham, and I got them to change their mind about euthanasia, not because I, I don't think that's important, because I, I want every client to be able to do that and, and mm-hmm. offer that if they feel like that's uh, what they need to do for their pet to relieve suffering. However, I, I just asked them, like, let's explore it a little bit. Are you interested in giving me a shot and getting a little more time with them? And they were willing to do so. So I actually worked with my mentor from my old internship, my rotating internship, and we were able to turn things around for him. And that was really the big spark for me that I could take this thing that all of my clients look at every day and just see how much I could change and do with it. And I, I wanted to to learn everything I possibly could about that uh, to uh, truly reduce their suffering. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, I wanted I wanted to invite the two of you on today. Uh, you know, with you know, so Tira and I we've been friends for for a while now. Um, Jeff, I met. Uh, after I did a podcast on, on our other podcast, it's called uh, Uncharted Vet Podcast. We talked about um, racial injustice and we talked about increasing diversity in veterinary practices and things like that. And Jeff reached out and said, hey, you know, if you'd ever like to sort of discuss what it's like to be a black veterinarian or experience of, of, uh, of my experience as a black veterinarian, I, I'd be up for talking with you. And so Jeff and I had talked and, um, and it was a fantastic conversation. And I thought it would be nice to, to, uh, to, try, to, to try to share that. And so that's sort of the point of um, of this podcast. I'm going to probably ask a lot of questions, and I will I will probably ask some stupid questions. But um, but I want but I want to unpack this, and and the reason I want to unpack it is because I uh, like the vast majority of people in vet, like the vast 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 majority of people in vet medicine. I'm white. I'm a white guy. I'm a 43 year old white guy. Vet medicine was built for me. You know, it was like I am the prototypical uh, veterinarian of, of old. And, um, I think that, I mean, we, we all have our own perspectives, right? We have the things that we can see. And I think that as we try to address the problem of, uh, of minimal diversity in, in black med or in, in, uh, in vet medicine, I think, I think understanding the perspective of others is, is really important. And so I, I, I really want to, um, talk with Jeff and Tierra today because they both have uh, amazing experiences and they're, and they're both very, very insightful. And, uh, and that, that's sort of where I'm trying to, to get to. And so if you guys are up for it, what I want to do is try to see that medicine through your eyes. And, um, and I like to start at the beginning. And so let's, let's start back uh, pre, pre-vet. And um, so talk to me about, if you don't mind, what it's like uh, to be to be a black person looking at veterinary medicine from the outside, you know, uh, what what kind of drew you to veterinary medicine? What what gave you pause? Uh, what was that like? So, Tierra, let's start with you. Yeah, so I knew um, ever since I was really young, probably five or six, younger than I can really remember, that I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, and I think it was because I loved animals. I also don't know where that came from because my um, mom did not let me have uh, any pets growing up outside of fish. I did have a lot of fish. Um, fish were replaced very often in our in our household. But um, I, <laughs> I, you know, I think I just had a love for for cats and dogs to begin with. And the more I learned about vet med, the more. Um, I realized that it was something that I truly wanted to do. 
Um, but I, I, I did not see anyone in veterinary medicine that looked like me for a very long time, probably not until I was a sophomore in college. Wow. So if you probably would have asked um, eighth grade Tierra, she probably thought she was making history as the first black <laughs> 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 um, but, but that was, you know, that was because they were, the, the numbers were so low. Um, my family had no idea how to guide or direct me to become a veterinarian. They, they supported me. They said, you know, I want you to do whatever, you know, it is that you want to do, but I have no idea how you're going to get there. My mom is, uh, deathly afraid of dogs. <laughs> so she, she really wanted, um, nothing to do with having a pet and me having experiments. I would come home with like turtles in a box. And if I ever came home with the box, she knew that it, there was an animal in it. And she's like, get that oh, out of my man. house right now. <laughs> but, you know, I was grounded a lot for veterinary medicine. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so, so I, um, I had to find those experiences on my, on my own. And it, it was, it was a tough time. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah, I think it's, um, it's interesting sort of in, in how you made those experiences for yourself as opposed to, you know, so many of us who are, you know, grow up on a farm, you know, or, or grow up uh, with, you know, with parents who are, who are in, veterinary, in veterinary medicine. There's a lot of, you know, multi-generational, you know, members of vet medicine. Like, it's just something we're kind of born into. So, so the fact that your mother is deathly afraid of dogs and didn't know what to make of it, I think is, um, I think is really interesting. You have a passion for for pre-vet students and sort of uh, opening their eyes to veterinary medicine and uh, representing black veterinarians to people who are considering the career. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, about that, um, sort of what sparked that, that focus for you and kind of how you've gone about it? Yeah, for sure. So with Black DVM Network, um, through social media, we were able to reach a lot of people and anyone in vet med knows that the most ambitious, um, assertive people are the pre-vet students because they want to get into veterinary medicine. They're willing to do whatever it takes. I remember being there, right? Um, I remember summers walking around with my little resume and going into clinics and handing it to them, forcing them to, to take it. Um, and so the pre-vet students um, showed up to Black DVM Network and they didn't go away. And I, and I realized that we do have um, opportunities for them. We do have things to offer them because we all have our experiences at the very least. We can talk to a pre-vet student. Um, I can tell a high schooler what it takes to go through undergrad and then go to vet school. Um, and so that became a passion of mine after I talked to, you know, fifth or sixth high school parent that says, hey, my child wants to go to vet school. They have no idea what to do. What should I tell them? And and with the black veterinary community being so small, um, I am probably the only black veterinarian that a lot of people know. So mm -hmm. when they hear that someone else wants to become a veterinarian, you got to talk to Tierra. She's she's doing it. She's a veterinarian. So then I am flooded with all of these calls, right? Um, and so actually through Black DVM Network. Uh, we're working on a uh, online course called Roadmap to DVM, and there's a high school edition and a uh, pre-vet undergrad edition, and then um, the you know getting into vet school edition. And so that's just going to be an online course available for students so that they can know 
career-wise, um, what veterinary medicine really is. It's not an animal science course by any means, but it just lets you know th these are the ways that you can get into vet med. Um, and, and one of the lectures that's in there that I really love it, uh, talks about the alternate paths into veterinary medicine. So one of those is, um, you know, after high school, you can go um, over to the UK and go straight into vet school, right? You don't even yeah. really need an undergrad degree here. Um, and that's a very, uh, that's a very privileged path because who has the money to send their 18 year old, you know, overseas, but if it's oh, available right. to you, right. yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it's available to you, that, that is an option. Um, if you want to be a 22, 23 year old doctor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. What kind of, um, what kind of questions do you get? from black pre-vet students or black high school students you know it's um I first of all i love your roadmap to dvm i think that's so awesome it's so action oriented it's just um god what what a need there is uh and and you're filling it so i think that's wonderful well, yeah what um are there questions that um i don't know that surprise uh, surprise me i guess what i'm saying tell, tell like what what kind of questions are, are black parents asking uh, for, about their about their kids coming to be a veterinarian. Yeah. So um, a lot of a lot of people that are not familiar with veterinary medicine don't realize that um, vet school is after undergrad. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people call it, and they're yeah. trying to get their their high schooler into vet school right now, and it's like, oh no, that, that's that's the second step. That's the that's the second to last step. Um, you know, you have to get the prerequisites, and a lot of people don't understand that. Some people um, are wondering, you know, what else they can do in veterinary medicine outside of cats and dogs. When I tell mm -hmm. people about veterinarians working in all different areas, um, they're they're really surprised by that. And then I I tend to ask students and tell parents to ask their their children, what is it that you love so much? Do you love taking care of animals? Because if you love taking care of animals and holding animals and feeding them um, and, and giving them a safe space to live and, you know, that is not really medicine. That mm -hmm. There are a lot of other careers that involve that, right? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of other animal-related careers. Uh, being a dog walker, you know, I, I wish I could also be a professional dog walker. That is one thing that <laughs> oh, makes <man>. me happy. <laughs> super happy <laughs> um and so so I, I i just try to let them know about the other careers that are out there and i try to pick their brain about what is it that you want to do the only um you know veterinary medicine is not the only animal related career there there are so many other things yeah. being a zoologist is really cool doing research at the nih is really cool um being a groomer is really cool so yeah um so, so I try to I, I try to ask those questions from them because I don't want them to be set up um, and, and, you know, embark on the journey of becoming a veterinarian and then hate it and think that there's nothing else for them to do. Right. I want them to know that there are plenty of other other avenues that um, that they can take. So a lot of people ask, how expensive is it? How long does it take yeah. uh, telling a high school that it might take eight years? Uh -huh. um, that seems like forever to them, right? Yes. Because they've only been in school for about twelve, so they're like, "Wow, <laughs> I'm gonna gonna double this." <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Jeff, can you talk a little bit about sort of uh, 
yeah, I guess your family's reaction to uh, to you wanting to be a veterinarian, and then also sort of your path to specialty medicine because you're um, going into your residency now. And I just uh, I'm sort of curious what that experience has been like for you. Yeah, so a lot of it for me was my parents really wanted to create this culture of you can do whatever you want to do, and. I think we were set up in a decent position. So from the get-go, we were kind of a middle-class-ish family. Uh, and and I learned years later that that wasn't always the case the entire time. But they really tried to ingrain in me this concept of whatever you want to do, just go for it. And from a very young age, I'm, I'm one of those people who's like, I think I want to be a vet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And they were like, all right. Like, that school sounds great. Well, let's go for it. Uh, I, I recently learned there's only, including my extended family, there's one other uh, physician in the family. So, I mean, that probably would have been intimidating for me at the time. But uh, as far as I know, I'm the only veterinarian in, in all of my family, mom or dad's side. So it was, for them, a really big deal and a proud moment to just say, like, do what you want to do. Live your dream. It was a requirement in my family to do undergraduate school. So no matter what, I had to do that. But they weren't necessarily hung up on what I wanted to do. They just wanted me to enjoy what I was doing. Go do it. Go live your dream. And they they set things up well for me to be able to do that. And I also want to mention, because it's completely entwined with that, when, when we look at our profession as a total, there's... 2% 2% of veterinarians, period, that are black. Mm-hmm. And so I never got that experience as a kid of necessarily looking. Like, I didn't know any black vets. I, yeah. I didn't know they existed. I didn't know they were around. I had never met one. So it, it, I guess it was really just my, my parents pushing me and wanting me to do what I wanted to do. And I, I don't know why I stuck with it, but I it was something I've always been passionate about. But I never had that that role model to look for who looked like me mm-hmm. and eventually you know move, moving up through undergraduate and going to vet school moving on in, into my internship i knew that i just wanted to exist as a black veterinarian and be someone that other people could look to and young black vets could see you know there is another there's a doctor there's somebody who's doing what i want to do and and be able to, as best I can, bring them up with me along the way. So I'm still working on becoming a resource for that. Specifically, when I embarked on deciding to go into dermatology and specialize, I learned that the the total population of uh, dermatology is about 300 or so. Okay. And just like there's only 2% of all veterinarians that are black, there's about 2% of us uh, in in our specialty that are black as well. Uh, there's four or five black female dermatologists, including my boss, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's not a black male one yet. So it's really, really important to me and to become that so that there is someone other people can, can look up to, I hope, and, and trailblaze in that way because they're like, I, I think we just we need more. There's there's more. There's plenty of us that have the ability to do it, and we're just not we're not out there. Yeah, yeah. So, 
I still, I just, I'm always just kind of blown away when you say there's four or five black dermatologists, <laughs> like not in, not in Kentucky, in the world. Uh, period. That, <laughs> period. Yeah. Period. That's um, that is amazing to me. You you uh, used a phrase a moment ago, and I've heard you say something similar in the past. You said, "I just want to exist as a black veterinarian." And uh, we've talked before, and you used a phrase. You said, "I, I want to exist and be myself." And then, uh, Tier, you have um, you said something to me to the same degree. You say, um, "I want to." Sh- we, w- you say, as black veterinarians, we want to show up as our entire selves. And so, there definitely seems to be a um, there seems to be a lot of over- overlap between those sentiments. And I've heard from both of you. So, could could you guys talk to me a little bit about kind of what that what that means to you? Yeah, for sure. So in my experience, uh, there's a lot, there's a phrase called code switching that I think is getting used a lot that happens when you are in this environment that's not necessarily built for you or everyone around you doesn't have shared experiences as you. So you change how you talk and how you speak and your behavior a little bit. And it's not a fake person, but you have to show a specific side of yourself in order to uh, to exist, be successful, and to essentially assimilate into your environment. And I felt like I've had to do that a lot because from middle school, high school, and undergrad schools, it was predominantly white institutions. So it was very important, you know, in my experience. And this comes back from you know, even including how I act around like the police, like my parents had like specific talks with me as far as being on my best behavior, acting a certain way. And when I'm in a room that has, say, like my family, I act I'm acting a different way and can be myself a little bit more. And when I'm around uh, a, a room that's predominantly not black or or, you know, lots of white people, it's not that anyone is inherently doing anything wrong, mm-hmm. but there are certain colloquialisms and phrases that I don't get to use. You know, it, it feels different and it is, it can be, it can be mentally exhausting to yeah. have to show my side of, uh, or to show that side of myself in, in my normal day to day because I've had to do it for so long. It, it feels like being on display. You know, I mean, yeah. just the way that you describe it, it feels exhausting. You know, it just, it's, it's a burden it is, is, is what it feels like as you sort of describe this sort of, um, you know, uh, you know, code switches, I guess is the phrase, but just, yeah, just sort of the, the best behavior part hurts my soul when you say, you know, first of all, it hurts my soul that, that black people have to have the conversation about police with their kids like that. I, I hate that. Like that, that, that makes me sad at a very deep level. And then, um. But yeah, just this sort of, you know, be on your best behavior. And it just, it seems, it seems so unnecessary uh, at a point. And it seems like such a burden. And I, 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 I can absolutely, I mean, I absolutely can see it in the world, but uh, that's, that seems like quite an extra challenge. Definitely. Tier, uh, can you talk a little bit about what you mean when you say um, uh, show up as our entire selves? Yeah. So just like Dr. Tinsley was um was talking about um, code switching. Um, That is totally a thing. Uh, If you are not familiar with code switching, that is privilege right there, right? Um, Because I, I, and I honestly think that it, um, that, that it happens 
probably more than people think and maybe people don't think of it as code switching but um as a black person i do it as a woman i do it right um and, and so 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 there are a lot of different uh ways that we see that and that is so exhausting um and it really hinders a, a lot of aspects of um, creativity and problem solving and designing new things and finding finding creative solutions. And so I think that when we can show up and be our entire selves, right? I can be the black woman that I am. I don't need to pretend to be anyone else. I don't need to assimilate um, into the situation that I'm in. You will get so much more out of me. You will get creative, diverse solutions. Um, You'll, you'll get a little bit of conflict. That's that's where the best solutions come from, right? Is that that little bit of conflict where people are not understanding what's happening and then you find that really good middle ground and create something amazing. And so Black DVM Network, that is one of the things that I really push for um, on our IG Live series. Uh, Dr. Tinsley was on there. We have been doing those every Tuesday and Thursday, but um, I get on IG Live, I show up just as I am. I might play a little Drake because I'm obsessed with Drake, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, you know, I might dance a little bit. I might snap a little bit, you know, all of these things that, that might make some people uncomfortable. That's exactly where I want to be. That's exactly who I want people to see. I want people to see, um, to see me in my entirety. I, I, don't, I don't want to have to hide, um, parts of myself. And I think a lot of it is influenced by the stereotypes or the microaggressions that uh, people experience because you you want to avoid that feeling of people calling you out for being different or people asking questions or why are you wearing that what what is that why is your hair hair like that you know and um, and, and I think that that's a big step in um, veterinary medicine being inclusive to everyone is is welcoming. Um, all, all different types of people and welcoming them just as they are. Yeah. You do amazing work on Instagram. So if people aren't following Black DVM Network on Instagram, you, you definitely should. Uh, they do excellent content. They uh, have really awesome interviews. They are um, they're doing something really positive for our profession. And so you guys should, should definitely check it out. I want to ask you about... Um, uh, uh, first of all, I want to ask you about you, we we sort of talk about being uh, being your whole self. Uh, let me switch over to, to Jeff real quick. You went to Tuskegee for veterinary school, which is a, a very a, a very diverse school. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? Because you'd been at Georgia for undergrad, correct? Yes. Yeah. So you'd been at Georgia and you go to Tuskegee for vet school. What was what was that experience like? As far as sort of um, I don't know the 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 culture change or, or, or kind of the experience that you had there? Yeah. So I, I try to be open and honest about it. So when coming from the University of Georgia, which is a predominantly white school, because I had been so used to being in a school of students that are, are mostly white and sort of doing the, the code switching, I've developed this self, this type of self where like I was fitting in well, doing well socially, I understood things. And I was terrified to apply to Tuskegee. It's the only HBU veterinary school that exists. And, you you know, I was afraid to have that culture shock because I'd gotten to such a point throughout school where I didn't know 
if I would be well accepted. I didn't know how to, like, how am I going to act around these people who look like me, even though when there are a few more people that look like me in the room, I am more comfortable. But uh, when I did eventually uh, get to Tuskegee, as far as the social aspect, like my class was extremely welcoming mm-hmm. and we did have, you know, unlike other other schools, just this enormous, it is the most diverse veterinary school that, that we have. And we had you know, black students, white students, uh, Asian, Indian, uh, Puerto Rican students, just so many different backgrounds to draw from. And it really... I really felt very welcome and at home with those people and, you know, a lot of people that I'll keep with me as lifelong friends, but there was that, that legitimate discomfort and fear. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go because I'm so used to being a a different side of myself. Right. Well, yeah, it's just, it's such a, um, it seems like if you're, if, if the education that you have known has always been being the one black person in the room. It it seems like that's a radical shift in in, in honestly in, in like your your daily life. Absolutely. Oh. Tier, what uh, what was your sort of experience like going to Virginia Tech? Yeah, so Virginia Tech really did take me by surprise because um, not only was I. Uh, one of five black students in a class uh, of 127. Um, I was also in southwestern Virginia, Blacksburg, Virginia, and I had never been anywhere like that before. Um, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, um, pretty diverse city. And um, then I went to the University of Connecticut, which had a really large, diverse campus. But when you get into veterinary school, as most people know, you don't have time to explore the campus and meet other people and be involved in in main campus activities. You're you're in vet school and you're with um, that class for a lot of your time. Um, and so, not only was I hit hard, like I said, by the lack of um, black students in my class, but there wasn't really a community in southwestern Virginia for me to look to either. Um, and so. That that's really what took me by surprise, and what really became very exhausting for me. Um, when I uh, when I got to Virginia Tech, I ran into um, someone, seemingly another black student, you know, at a bar or something, and they approached me and said, "Hey, are you um, are you a student? Like, what are you doing?" And we talked for a little bit, and they were a PhD student, and they actually added me to a group me. Um, uh, of black graduate students at Virginia Tech. That right there should show you how many, how few yeah. <laughs> uh, black professional students were on that campus, the fact that we could actually sustain a group me. And I think there were probably 200 people in that group me, but um, those are people that had also graduated, you know, years back. So there were probably about 100 people um, between PhDs, masters, veterinary school, the med school, you know, all of these, um, uh, you know, post, post undergrad, um, um, students. And so, you know, that, that really hit me hard and I had a hard time adjusting to that and really finding my way, um, in, in Blacksburg, Virginia. 
for that, a while. That, blo- that blows my mind. I, I imagine like you with binoculars looking for another black person. Like you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, wow. You know, and, and uh, meeting this person a- in a bar and just be, oh, so so you're black, too. And there's yeah. just so few black people that, you know, and, that, that like that's a conversation starter. And the, yes. And the um, the the unfortunate part about that experience is that when just because you find another black person or other black students, it doesn't mean that you guys are going to be friends, right? Um, As a veterinary student, trying to have a conversation with someone who's a PhD in like material chemistry science, things that I can't even pronounce, you know, it's like we, neither one of us have any idea of what the other person (laughs) is is talking about. So um, it was actually, a little bit harder to connect with the black, um, the other black graduate students because they were on a different schedule than me. Um, they were doing more writing and more research and I was just being, you know, completely tortured in anatomy lab. So it was really hard for us to, um, to actually connect. (laughs) Tell me about how black DVM network played into that sort of sense of isolation a little bit. Can you talk about that? Um, my impression is that your experience is not unique. Tuskegee is a very special place, a very un- unique place. That that doesn't yeah. seem to be the standard at all of, of other veterinary schools. Yeah, for sure. So um, I would say that it was in my first year, I was wondering, why do we not have a national association? Um, mainly because my father, who's an attorney, is very um, involved with the Black Lawyers Association. And so I was wondering, like, why don't we have an association like that for veterinarians? And I, I just assumed that we didn't because I hadn't heard of one. Um, but actually, the National Association of Black Veterinarians was founded in 2016. And that was the year that I entered um, veterinary school. So by, um, you know, thinking that we didn't have one of those and thinking that's too much of a task for me to try to start, surely, you know, it really, it really just had to sit on me with what I wanted to do and how I would start to make a difference in the black veterinary community. Um, And so the Instagram page came about because I was really looking for other black veterinary students. Um, One of my friends uh, from high school, started at Lincoln Memorial University and she reached out to me and said, you know, I think I'm going to be the only black person in my class and it terrifies me. And so I, you know, over time was experiencing, you know, I was seeing my experiences, but then I was also hearing about other people's experiences. And the more I thought about it and, and molded over, I realized, you know, it might help. Maybe it'll help if people can ha- see an Instagram page with um, other black veterinarians and vet students. That's at least, you know, a small, tiny step um, in, in the direction of making people feel more comfortable in this profession. Yeah, I think it's more I think it's more than a small step. I mean, we have a long, long way to go. But I just I, I love the idea of representation in vet medicine. I think it's so important that people see that um, that our profession can be can be diverse and that there are. Uh, people who don't look like me, uh, who are veterinarians, and, and they're very happy, and they're and they're doing very well. Can we step back and talk a little bit about code switching for another moment? So there's definitely, uh, obviously, pressure on on our on our black colleagues as they come through schools. Can you talk to me about pressure with uh, with clients? Uh, is this 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it persists on obviously as we're sort of talking with clients, but, um, but even, even if, uh, even your, if your clients are predominantly black, is, is there, is there, is there pressure there coming back from a, such a, a white institution? It, it, what, what is that like? And Jeff, uh, let me, let me hand it to you if you don't mind. Oh, sure. So from my experience, and I feel like this happened, uh, I mean, it still happens now, but I experienced it a lot more in general practice when <clears throat> there, there are certain uh, rooms that you'll go into and it is, you have to act a certain way, you know, to share that experience with the client when you're trying to give them medical care. And I felt like, you know, you can walk into a room and sometimes people will literally, I think it happened quite a bit with some of my, my white clients or, older white clientele would be that they would be surprised that I was the doctor. Mm-hmm. And and so it, it wasn't a common experience or it wasn't uncommon for, you know, our general flow was like most clinics, technician goes in, gets a history and then comes out and then I come in. And even in scenarios where they would say, Oh, Dr. Tinsley will be right in. Mm-hmm. Like I could walk in and my clients would still ask me, when the doctor was coming or, you know, they just automatically assumed that I was support staff or a tech or an assistant. And I think those uh, professions are extremely important to every mm-hmm. clinic. Like yeah. we, we absolutely cannot do without them. We will, I will fail. We like, we will, right. sure. <laughs> they're extremely important, but the default is never, and it works on a little bit of implicit bias as well. The default is never, you must be a doctor. It, right. It is. It is always you are something else at a different a different level in the hospital, and that's that's a another thing that's just exhausting and another burden that I have to carry because I yet again have to be on top of my game and give the highest level of medical care to everyone that I mm-hmm. try to do. That we you know the same goal that every veterinarian has for every client, every patient, but you know even on a 5 p.m. on a Friday, if I'm exhausted, I felt like there was this extra pressure to perform and be an excellent doctor because since there's so few of us in the field, this may be the only experience with a black doctor these clients get. So I feel like it has to be good. I I feel like I can't fail. That's Um, so much pressure. That's so much pressure. I mean, I I tell you, I am an extrovert. I love talking to people. I love our job. I get tired. You know what I mean? Like there's times I just, I just... I just don't want to get up for this room. You know what I mean? And to feel this pressure of, you know, I might be the the only person who looks like me this person sees as a doctor. And so I feel this almost like obligation, you know what I mean? To to be mm-hmm. to be amazing. God, Jeff, that's 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 so again, heavy, I guess, is the word I come back to. It just it it feels like a lot to carry. It it is. <laughs> uh, Tier, have you had uh, similar experiences? I mean, or do you do you have those same thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, definitely the um, implicit bias is there. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, can tell when someone is a little taken aback by me entering the room. Um, and you know, I also have a baby face, so people are probably wondering. You know, you do have a baby eat- face. I'll, I'll say <laughs> you do. You do have a baby face. You know, how, how, how is this 18 year old, um, telling me, introducing herself as Dr. Price? Is this a joke? But, but, you know, for the most part, it, it def either way, 
mm-hmm. whatever their whatever mm-hmm. their bias is um, in response to the color of my skin, my baby face, my gender, uh, my height, you know, whatever it is, I, I definitely feel the pressure to to perform for them. And um, Dr. Lisa Greenhill has talked about it um, plenty of times uh, with the AAVMC about how discrimination impacts the people that are experiencing it. Um, and it, and it can actually impact people in a way that, um, manifests as physical health problems. So it's not just the mental health that it, that it impacts it also. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I'm pretty sure that there's something about um, it weakening your immune system, like the stress of it all. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it definitely manifests itself, uh, in, in a lot of different ways. And, um, it, it creates a lot of pressure on you to perform, perform well, even if it's just a nail trim, you're like, Oh dear God, don't let me quick any of these nails. You know, <laughs> I do not want that to happen while this person is staring me down, waiting yeah. for me to do that. Uh, I, um, you know, I, I laugh and say you have a baby face. It, um, I'm sure that that as a, especially as a young doctor is a headache. You know, there's, uh, everyone wants to look young until you're trying to convince people that you're a doctor and they should follow your, your recommendations. And so I, I do want to point out, I, I, I joke about that, but um, but that that seems more headache uh, than than anything else. What um, are there things that you have found to be particularly helpful in uh, in private practice as you've gone into practice? Have there been policies that have been supportive? Um, have there been policies that have been not supportive? Uh, as you kind of try to navigate these waters of uh, the widest profession in the world. <laughs> so, uh, um, I, oh, go ahead, Dr. Tinsley. Oh, go ahead, by all means. <laughs> yeah, my, my experience is very limited. As you guys know, I just graduated in May. So, um, so like, I, I, I haven't seen anything um, specifically implemented in our clinic, but mm-hmm. I definitely think that, from my experience in vet school, things that made me feel very comfortable were uh, the the zero tolerance policy on racism. So when a complaint was was filed or brought to administration, um, it was immediately handled. And I really appreciate that because I've heard horror stories from other veterinary students that complaints just get swept under the rug mm-hmm. or students, you know, maybe get a slap on the wrist for, you know, saying something. And then professors, you know, if they say something, they won't even be reprimanded. So, um, I think that that definitely is something that, that I would love to see at a clinic, right? Yeah. Um, if if people are, you know, asking to see a white doctor because they've, they've seen me or they're asking to see a different doctor, I think that letting, you know, letting, being bold and letting that client know that, you know, Dr. Price is a doctor here. And if you cannot see her, then I'm sorry, we don't have anyone else that, can help you and letting that client walk out of the door. Um, and, and, and that really just, that, that is, that is the movement, right. Of human centric businesses is that we're no longer chasing the money. We are chasing, um, our people and, and we're trying to keep our, our people, um, healthy and happy. Yeah. Let's get a little bit uncomfortable here. Uh, I, cause you, so you, you, you mentioned this of, of, you know, clients say, um, I want to see a white doctor. And a lot of practices say they accommodate. They'll be like, oh, well, if that's what let's the client just wants to see the other person. 
can and again, I hate to ask you this, but can can you can you talk a little bit about the the effect that that would have on you as a, as a black doctor of people saying, well, I don't, I want to see a white doctor, and and the clinic just sort of booking that appointment because I, I think I think that's one of those things where people um, I think people can be passive about these things, and I think that's insidious, and I, and I don't think that people necessarily understand the effects that that would have on their on their minority doctors. And so could, could, am, uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Y- yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So go yeah. ahead, Tia. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and Dr. Tinsley, yes, like, please chime in on this. But, um, you know, I think that the the easy way out is to say, okay, you know, Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so would like to see this non-black doctor or this right. white doctor. Um, and the bystander effect tells you to just say, okay, we can accommodate them. That's totally fine. That is something that may have never gotten back to me. Like I may have never known that, that this client, you know, asked to, to not see me. Um, or, or not see, you know, another black doctor, but what, and, and so the effect that it has on me might be minimal, right? I, like I, I never knew, but what it does for your practice and, and what it means for you is that you are promoting racism. It's, yeah. you are, you are no longer, you know, we've, we've been using this term anti-racism, like racist, like you have to be active mm-hmm. in being not a racist. And so, um, something like that is truly promoting racism and letting people know that you're okay with it, that yep. your practice is, um, honors their values and beliefs. And, you know, if someone came in and said, I want to see only a male doctor or only a female doctor, you know, um, what does, what does that, what does that mean? You know, what, what are people, what are people really asking for? What, so I think that you have to be actively anti-racist and um let let those people know that you know if you can't be seen by dr tinsley then we can't accommodate you jeff uh thoughts on that as well please yeah i completely agree and you know that situation has happened to me before and i'm sure i'm sure i know it happens you you internalize it and then you know, in the middle of a work day, if you hear that and, you know, somebody, a receptionist is kind of like, is just letting you know, so you know, in theory to avoid this client or, you know, they're going to try not to schedule with me. I get that. I internalize it and I hate it. Yeah. But in the moment, as far as what I'm going to do about it is I'm going to deliver excellent medicine and continue about my day and move on to my next client and the people who want to see me. So on, on the level of, in the practice, I agree with Tierra when she mentioned, you know, when you let that slide or, you know, even people who are uncomfortable will still be like, okay, well, we'll just reschedule you. That is the same as saying racism is okay here. Yeah. Because you're allowing it. And things that go a big way are the little steps like, you know, telling management, firing that client if, if that is what you guys need to do. Or making having a discussion with them and making it clear that that is not going to be allowed in my practice and that's not what we support. And I I did really feel like when I was in general practice, uh, specifically there was an older uh, white doctor who I absolutely believe 
would go to bat for me if anything mm-hmm. like that occurred. And there were certainly specific scenarios when, so, so this doctor no longer cut, he didn't do anesthesia anymore. He didn't do any dentals. So it was very common for him to bring me or one of the other younger doctors, you know, grab us, bring them into the exam room just so we can meet our client. And you could even see then some of them would be like, Oh, like, I don't like you're the, you're the doctor. And he was like, yes, this, this is your doctor. He will be the one doing your dental if you would like a dental. And even, even just that, like validating me and saying like, this, this is your doctor. This is important. If you want this service done, he's the one who's going to do it is, is really important in amplifying us, you know, bringing us up with you and, and amplifying our voices. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, you Tier Tier said, um, you know, if you let this slide, you are, I forget the exact words that you use, but it was essentially you're honoring their beliefs. <clears throat> and I, I think that, I think that's true. And, and the other point that I, I just, I really want to make here is, you know, culture comes from the top. And if your clinic acts like this is okay and honors this belief as normal, you're saying to your staff, like, this is what we think, and we think that that people uh, can act this way. And so I just um, – I, I, I brought this up, and I just wanted to really drag it out and, and beat on it because these things absolutely happen. And it's, it's – to Tierra's point, it's the difference in, in being anti-racist versus passive. And um, I just – I don't know. I, I, I just wanted to get that out because I think there's a lot of people who – it's a good example of the types of things where people say, well, I'm not doing any harm here. And I would say, I, th- I think you are. I-, I think, I think you are. I think you're, I think you're harming your veterinarians. I think you're giving, uh, I think you're giving your black veterinarians a-, a bigger burden, but I also think that you're sending signals to your staff about what you think is okay. And, uh, and you're perpetuating a worldview that's not okay. I agree. And the same, yeah. And the same really goes for comments made by your staff. Like, you need to call your staff out when they come to the back and they make a comment about a client, right? Um, because we're there, the the black veterinarian is in the room, and we hear the comments that your staff make. So even if, you know, the bias isn't... Um, e- even if the comments aren't being made to us, like, we're mm-hmm. friends with this person and things are going well, but when you say something about a, a black client... Um, that, you know, your racism is also showing there. And I, and I think that that's important. Um, you know, one story that I have is being in the clinic during the time of the protests and, um, one of the doctors, you know, in a seemingly harmless manner says, you know, I wish they would just stop with these protests and loots and rioting. Cause right. Dr. Tinsley, we're in Louisville, Kentucky, where Breonna Taylor was murdered. So, um, things are not calm here. And, now, I wish they would stop with these riots and looting and protests. And the way that made me feel was that you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea what I'm experiencing. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and I, I invited him to have a conversation and, and we did. And he finally understood, you know, what it was about that statement that really hurt me. Um, but, but it's also statements like that that are um, maybe not so much racist, but are a little insensitive. Yeah. Jeff, you had similar uh, similar circumstances? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And 
what I really like about what Tierra said there is it's extremely helpful and important when we are, like you said a little bit earlier, Andy, like, let's get uncomfortable about this because we have to. Yeah. The only way the only way we're going to incite change is if we start having un- un- uncomfortable conversations. And what Tierra did was extremely important and something that I think we all have to start doing. And I, I think it goes in an even longer way when our white colleagues are helping us with this. And that's having other conversations with uh, other white colleagues in the practice when, you know, we, we are now learning how to be anti-racist and learning to recognize things that uh, we didn't all know before. And when you hear certain comments, you know, I'm turning into a bigger proponent of not necessarily calling someone out, but calling them in and inviting them to have a conversation. So instead of chastising them and saying, hey, what you said was racist, let's pause and change that language and say, hey, can we talk about what you just said? That made me uncomfortable. Or, hey, that wasn't great. Let's have a discussion about that. You know, let's talk about some concerns I have about what you said. So you'll find the words that fit in your mouth, but you will never find them if you don't start talking about it, pointing out when these things happen. Because if if I'm in the room and I hear something like that and, you know, from a black perspective, I understood and understand why these protests are going on. I, I really get the root of why they're going on. But when you look at it at face value and you don't. So that's that's for everybody's own research to go, mm-hmm. you know, go find out why these things are happening, why it's going on. But if you don't talk about and understand why it's happening and and understand the history of what brought this about, then at face value, you, yeah, I could understand you not getting it and being upset that things are going on in the streets and people are looting and X, Y, Z, but it's really important to learn the history. Why is this happening? Why are people so upset? Because in the moment, I don't have time to teach you that. And it's, right. it's, it's not my job as a black person to teach every person who's not black why these things are happening. Right, and I, I can't. It's exhausting. I cannot do it. No, Tierra, you you laugh at that. It seems like uh, <laughs> you you you've had that experience as well. Yeah, and you know, I, I I try to be clear in saying that you know I only have my experiences. Yeah. I had yeah. to to embark on my own journey about learning about systemic racism. Just because I'm black doesn't mean that I was born knowing everything about systemic racism, right? Um, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, those were the men that changed my perspective and um, that started my journey into figuring out why. Why is it that black men get shot in the back, running away from police officers? Why do black men get shot with their hands up? Why are black men killed being choked by a police officer? So I, you know, I had to embark on my own journey and, um, you know, it's not really one that, that someone can walk you through. It's an uncomfortable experience that you have to go through, um, yourself. And there are a lot of resources out there. Um, Google is a very good place to start. You can ask Google any question and it will give you some results. So, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you, that you say this and, um, you know, it, it makes a ton of sense. I, I've told you this story before. I, um, when I sort of first met Tierra and I saw Black DVM Network and, and what you were doing and stuff, and, and I uh, 
I had reached out at some point because I was like, oh, I would love for her to, to do some some speaking for uh, Uncharted or or to do some other uh, to do some other things. And I, I like I, I want to raise her profile. I want people to see her. I want people to hear her voice. And I talked to you about some uh, doing some diversity stuff. And, and I was I was kind of blown away when you weren't super pumped about it. Like it was not it was clearly not this thing that you were excited about. And um I just I I couldn't get my head around that for 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 a little bit. And I'm just being totally transparent and, and sort of vulnerable here. But um I went back and I talked to my wife and I said, I don't understand. You know, Tierra's doing these great things and she's doing so much for for black veterinarians and the black community and black technicians. And I asked her to start come and speak about diversity and she just doesn't seem into it. I don't I don't I don't understand. And my wife said, well, you know, Andy, it's not Black DVM Foundation that she's making. It's not the Black DVM, you know, uh, Diversity Education Corps. It's Black DVM Network. Like, that's not what she's doing. She's building something. And I just, I like to tell that story because that was sort of my, my journey to understanding. And again, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm naive um, in a lot of ways, and I'll own that. But, but what, you know, I, I just think that that's an important point. It, it, it's not. It's not your job to to be a diversity advocate because you're black. Like that's not it's not something that should be put on people. And when I look at Black DVM Network, there's nothing about di- diversity necessarily in the title. It's pure. It, it is a get shit done. You know, lift people up, make networks, uh, get doors open, open. You know, uh, get opportunities going. Like that. That's what it is. And I just. I think that that is such an important distinction. Can can you either validate or or shoot that down? Yeah, no, I can validate that for sure because, um, you know, I tell people all the time, I went to veterinary school. I learned parasitology, microbiology. Theoretically, I learned all these things, right? I I know nothing about the statistics for, um, you know, black people in veterinary medicine. I only have my experience and mm-hmm. and I, I saw a problem and I saw a need and I, you know, tried to, to meet that need. I do not have um, statistics to back back that up. And so when people want to learn more about diversity in veterinary medicine, um, number one, I let them know that Black DVM Network supports black veterinary professionals. Diversity is so much more than that right? Diversity is sexual orientation. Diversity is socioeconomic status. Diversity is gender and and how you identify. So um, so that just seems like too much. You know, I mean, I'm a little extra, but that's just too much for me. (laughs) And it's, it's quite frankly, not really where my my interests lie. I love black people. I love veterinary medicine. I love dancing. You can get me to talk for hours about, um, you know, the intersection of the of those three, which would be me. <laughs> but but <laughs> but thinking about, um, you know, thinking about diversity, it, it just feels like something that I'm not qualified to really talk about. Which is why we have Dr. Lisa Greenhill, right? She's done so much work with AAVMC. She's done so much research. She has created the resources. Um, And if you talk to her during this time, she's like, you know, yeah, I've been doing this work. Everyone else is just waking up. And I have been, you know, building these resources for years and years. So, um, so yeah, Black DVM Network is not at all about diversity. One of the things that we do is that we expose, right, Black veterinary Mm -hmm. professionals. Our Mm -hmm. Instagram page shows you um, all of the black excellence in veterinary medicine. And 
Um, you know, we've kind of done a, a cool thing, I will say, because 2% of veterinary medicine is black, right? That's the mm -hmm. statistic that, mm -hmm. that gets thrown around. Um, you know, I'm no mathematician, but the odds that you would run into a black veterinarian organically are probably low. And so if you're, you know, trying to figure out what black veterinary professionals are doing, you can go to Black DVM Network's Instagram page and see a lot of them, mm -hmm. um, not only in our posts, but also on the IGTV series. So it's definitely... Um, diversity is definitely not a topic for Dr. T.R. Price, you know, to, to give an expertise on, right. but, um, but, you know, I, I, I obviously think that it's important. Oh, definitely. Oh yeah. And I, I just want to reemphasize sort of what you said. Yeah. The black DVM, especially Instagram seems to be the main, uh, the main medium that you work in, but it's really excellent. It's, um, T.R. does such great work there and they're doing fantastic things. Um, let's. Go ahead. I um, I we're at an hour, and I don't want to take any more of your time than I already have. Um, let let me bring it back. Um, parting thoughts, things that people should consider. Um, just just things that you would like to leave people with. Uh, Jeff, can you uh, do you have uh, anything? Yeah, for sure. So I do want to put in a quick plug for a couple of weeks ago, Tierra was gracious enough to have me on Black DVM Network to do an interview. It still exists. It's on her page <laughs> under the, the Instagram live interviews. And we said some good stuff there. Uh, but I, the reason I thought about that is because it bet between that talk and now, even I've personally grown a lot. And I've, I've thought a lot about the pipeline and what we can do for for students and like immediately, like what is something actionable that I can do right now and that any veterinarian could do as far as increasing diversity in our field. And because I am, uh, I gravitate towards speaking. I, I really love talking to my colleagues and, and people younger than me and, and being a part of a resource for other people to, to get into vet med. One thing that I thought would be very helpful to some people is, you know, going to a local high school, talking in their biology class about being a vet. You could go to a local college and talk to their pre-vet club. It's very easy. Go online, email a professor, email the principal, uh, find the, the pre-vet club, like reach out to somewhere, somewhere in your community. It'd be excellent if there happens to be a, a, a high school or college that it has more black students in it or just students mm -hmm. that don't have the same resources as other schools. I think going to any school would be beneficial, but specifically if we're trying to increase diversity and just going and sharing your experience as a doctor, I think speak, we'll speak volumes to those students. Yeah. You don't have to reach everybody, but if you have no resources, you don't know how to get into a clinic, you don't think this is for you, it's important for me as a black veterinarian, this is something that I want to do. You know, it, it could be once a semester, once a year, just something that I'm trying to get my face out to, to high schools or a college in my area. I can go to the University of Louisville down the street, talk to their pre-vet club and just, you know, give them 30 minutes of my time, 45 minutes. This is what it's like for me, a regular day as a vet and maybe my email. Yeah. And even if they can't come shadow me, I know somebody down the street that can probably go shadow. I've got a several friends in the area, general practitioners that can take 
uh, a student to come shadow and just being being able to do that small gesture and bridge the gap for some of these students that may never see a veterinarian is important. And I also think on the other side of it, so if you're a non-black veterinarian, which would be most veterinarians. Yeah, which is, which is most of them, yeah. <laughs> Just doing that and making yourself a resource for students, you don't have to go into a big multicultural talk and make it this big grand gesture. Yeah. You can just go to, go to these students, pre-vet or high school, you know, we need to start earlier and just say, hey, this is what it's like being a vet. If you'd like to talk about it a little more, great. Here's my email. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a huge part of your day and experience. You could do it once or twice a year, whatever works for you. But I just think that would be really good. I don't, I don't know if people realize how much of an impact we can have just saying to, to people, uh, like, under, I'll say, uh, I've been to some of the uh, sort of underprivileged schools in our area to, to talk, talk about stuff. And just to say, this is a job and you could yeah. have this job. You know, if you want to do this, is on the table. And if you have questions about it, I'm happy to be your point of contact. And it's nothing more than that of just showing it to them and saying, hey, maybe you didn't think about this, but exactly. this, is, this is what it's like. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I love that you say that. I, th- I think it's a wonderful step. It just um, – it, it inspires me to, to, to pick it back up. I, you know, I've, I've gone to uh, a lot of elementary schools and middle schools and and, and – you just go and sometimes you go, did I just, did I do anything? Because, <laughs> you know, because you go and you talk to little kids and they get super fired up. And, and I think, I think that having that perspective of, I may have opened somebody's eyes to, to a possibility they didn't know they had. I just think that's really important to remember. Uh, Tierra, parting words or thoughts from you? Yeah. So for me, um, I agree wholeheartedly with what Dr. Tinsley said. Um, I didn't have anyone come and speak to me when I was, um, when I was younger or in school. Um, and I also, I didn't even get Dr. Andy Rourke in vet school. Apparently he goes to a lot of vet schools. Um, <laughs> I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. <laughs> but I didn't even get that opportunity. So, I <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, for me, I, I just want people to remember that we are um, opening our eyes and realizing a really huge problem and things are not going to be fixed completely overnight. So, you know, just really um, being okay with where you are in your journey. Everyone has more to learn. Everyone has more to do. Um, and, and, you know, not beating yourself up over it and also not um, not expecting things to change overnight. I love this momentum. But we're gonna um, we're gonna need it for a while in order to um, get to a really good solution. Yeah, I, I I love that you say that too. This this is the long game. This is a marathon. You know, we're in it. Start taking. Uh, let's start taking some steps now. But know that this is not a problem that we that we fix. Uh, we fix this quarter or, or this year. This is something that we we march on with. The last thing that I could think of that just always pops into my head, of course, at the end of any talk would be remembering that when you are learning about being anti-racist and, and learning to recognize things and, and break down the systemic racism within our, our field, you can relate it directly back to vet med. Like this, think about your first day on the job as a veterinarian and remember that this is practice. So you are learning and actively practicing action 
you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get better at it. You're going to become, you know, phenomenal at this active person who understands these issues and inequalities and become you know, a great ally, an active ally, a champion, and something, it's going to be something you're going to have to practice at forever. There are certainly things that I've learned these past couple of weeks about my own culture I've never even known about. And I, I love relating it back to like a diabetic ketoacidosis case, which is my, my nightmare patient to come in the door. <laughs> so if, seeing that on one, one, my first year as a vet, I truly panicked. <laughs> I was like, I'm dying and this patient is also dying <laughs> when you're dying together this thing needs a vet and i'm the vet so just remembering that you know the next time that case came around i was much better at it and yeah i thank god that i do not touch those at all as a dermatologist <laughs> but you know you get better at these tougher things these tougher cases these scenarios and the more you practice and do it the better you'll become yeah. Dr. Jeff Tinsley, where can people find you online? The best place to find me would be on Instagram, Derm Dr. Jeff. That's Dr. D O G T O R. So, Dr. Uh, I, I thought I was funny. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, on the animal dermatology uh, for Louisville website. Perfect. Dr. Tier Price, where can people find Black DVM Network and where can they find you? Yeah, so Black DVM Network is on Instagram um, at Black DVM Network. We also have a website, www.blackdvmnetwork.com. Um, and if you're looking for just some insight into my personal life, there's not much vet med related. There. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's a pretty, pretty basic profile. Um, you can follow me at um, T-I-E-R-R-A-D-P, Tierra D-P on Instagram. So, Awesome. Guys, thanks again for being here. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, All right. Take care, everybody. Us. Have a great week. Yes. Thank thanks. you. And that is our episode for today. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. I got a lot out of it. I want to say thanks again to Tierra and Jeff for making time to be here. I expect super bright, great things from those guys in the future. They are really doing great stuff. I encourage you guys to check them out on Instagram is where uh, both of them spend a lot of time. If there are things in the future that you would like to see from us on on Cone of Shame, shoot me an email. Send me an email at podcast at drandyrourke.com. That's podcast at drandyrourke.com. And we'd love to tackle it for you. So anyway, guys, take care of yourselves. Uh, Be well. Stay safe this summer. And I'll talk to you soon.